Welcome to the Lonely Spirits Variety Hour on FFFFFFM. 5900 on the AM dial. I'm your host, Neville Umbrellaman, bringing you all your favourite public domain hits all night long. When Rabindranath asked me to do something for his show, I was so honoured and excited. <laughs> you see, I've admired your work for quite a long time. And remember, for all you lonely spirits out there, tune in to FFFFFF. FM 5900 on the AM dial at midnight for two minutes of erotic sounds. On tonight's program, we explore the farthest reaches of the universe and plunge into the depths of so many black holes as we search for spiritual enlightenment and that secret raising agent responsible for all of life's spontaneous bang. Yes, listeners, life is fleeting, I know, but strap yourselves in for a journey through the night sky. Oh, yeah. That's the trailer for the Lonely Spirits Variety Hour. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. I'm very excited to be discussing the wonderfully weird and outrageously funny The Lonely Spirits Variety Hour with the film's director and co-writer Platon Theodorus. The Lonely Spirits Variety Hour follows radio host Neville Umbrellaman. When Neville's... (laughs) Sorry. I have to laugh, He's, he, he, Neville is such a hilarious character and one I'll be remembering for a very long time. So yeah, again, the Lonely Spirits Variety Hour follows Neville and uh, when Neville lands in hospital, a group of unexpected performers crash his show. Um, Platon is an Australian film director, producer and screenwriter His debut feature film, Elvin's Harmonious World of Opposites, had its world premiere at the Revelation Perth International Film Festival back in 2015. Uh, I've been anticipating his next film ever since then. He's one of the most unique filmmakers working in Australia today. If you've seen Elvin's and The Lonely Spirits, I'm sure you will agree with that. And if you haven't seen those films, then you really need to amend that ASAP catch uh, The Lonely Spirits on its festival run over the next couple of months in Australia. In this interview, Platon discusses everything from his first viewing of the original stage play on which the film was based, uh, his continued work with this incredible group of actors that he's built a community around, as well as some technical aspects of his filmmaking. The Lonely Spirits Variety Hour will stream on Myth Play from August 11 to 28 followed by another film festival run, which I can't say anything about yet, but it'll be announced over the next week. Keep an eye on cinemaaustralia.com.au for updates about that and other screening details for the film. Anyway, enjoy. I'm going to go and compose myself now because it was very hard to get through that introduction without being reminded of the pure comedy 
and dramatic genius of this film. Platon, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, I'm very excited to be chatting with you about this movie. Um, uh, This is a very special film. It's, uh, It's visually gorgeous. The storytelling is honest and simple, but complex at the same time. Uh, It's got this genuine depth and its layers are quite powerful. It's hilarious and highly emotional. And I think you and your team have done, uh, have balanced those two things so well. Uh, It's only July and I'm already telling people that this is the best Australian film so far this year. So a massive congratulations to you and your team on this one. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Just listening to you gave me goosebumps (laughs) because... Um, you know, yeah, um, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I'm so glad that um, you understood all those layers and felt the emotion, but also kind of got the humour as well. Like we 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 really try to uh, find the right balance. Yeah. Um, and you know, so often when you're making films, it's you're in your own bubble, so you're not quite sure how it's going to be received. But um, thank you, thank you for for those kind words. You're welcome. Now, the film uh, premiered at the Revelation Film Festival recently uh, in Perth, and I was telling you off air just then that I, I missed the big screen uh, screening of the film, and I, and I wish I hadn't. How, what was the reaction like at Rev? Oh, look, um, lots of belly laughs, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was great. It was really great to watch it uh, in a cinema, lots of people laughing out loud. And, you know, just when you're watching comedy in a crowd, you know, that sort of thing feeds off each other. Yes. So uh, it kind of, it's almost like you have permission to to laugh out loud and um, it was really great to see. Um, and I think a lot of people also got quite emotional as well with it. So, you know, we cover cover a good ground. I mean, it is, it is wacky and weird and, and has some absurdist elements to it, but there is a... There is a weighted kind of um, uh, depth and, and, and seriousness that also comes through, which I think good comedy should have, you know? Oh, yeah. yes, definitely. Yeah. So did all the laughs uh, land at the right time uh, or were people laughing at things you didn't quite expect them to laugh at? No, I think they laugh. I think, it, yeah, it's a good question, actually. Um, we, we, did, we had two screenings there and I think, um, I think the response was subtly different. One of the screenings was a little later in the evening, so it was like at 9 o'clock, and one of the screenings was at sort of 6 p.m. And I think some of the jokes, yeah, perhaps landed differently. Maybe it was people's energy levels. I'm not Mm. sure, you know. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I, I think every every audience screening, every city, you know, different times, I think you're just going to, yeah, it's really going to change. I don't think there's a right formula for that. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And I find that uh, I find that with Australian films, people quite often laugh when they feel uncomfortable as well. Uh, with Australian audiences, I don't know what it is, but the more uncomfortable an audience feels, the more they seem to laugh at it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah. I, again, I haven't thought of that as well. Um, why is that? Why do you think that is? I have no idea. I have not. Maybe it's just that collective <laughs> experience. When you do feel uncomfortable in front of so many people, I guess laughing is a defence mechanism. Yeah. Look, it's weird because a lot of, I mean, you know, you saw the film. It doesn't rely on cheap humour no. in some ways. No. Uh, what, maybe that's not the right word. It's, it's quite a cerebral kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and sometimes you've really got to understand the play on words, the language, a lot of the references, 
And, you know, if you're not kind of in tune with that, it maybe can go over your head. Uh, I want to go back for a moment and uh, and talk a bit about Elvin's Harmonious World of Opposites and and a bit about your, um, you know, growing up and, and interests in film and things like that before we get into um, speaking about the Lonely Spirits Variety Hour. Um, sure. I remember I remember catching Elvin's Harmonious World of Opposites at Rev in 2015, and I was so impressed with that film then. Uh, it got me wondering, how do you reflect on that whole experience now? Look, I had made shorts before Elvin's Harmonious World of Opposites. I'd, dab, uh, I'd made uh, three short films at that stage, and I was still trying to find my voice. Um, I'd come from a music video and TV commercial background, um, I'd been to film school, um, but I really spent my first three shorts just trying to figure out what it is I'm interested in, what it is I want to say and the sorts of stories I want to tell and, and, and the visual kind of element to that. Um, and I kind of, when I, when I look back at Alvin's, it really is reflective of my first ever short film. Um, called Parasol, which didn't screen anywhere, I think. I, I, I just made it and showed it to some friends and I didn't even, um, I didn't even send it to festivals. It, 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 um, it's on my website, but yeah, that's, that's it. But, but I guess uh, I liked that aesthetic and that visual and I went back to it for my first feature. Mm. I, I think it was a real learning curve. The film was made independently um, outside the screen agency system that sort of dominates... The, the business here in this country. Um, it was a kind of an informal co-production with uh, I- Indonesia. So we shot 30% of the film up there. There was a lot of the post-production was done there. One of the lead actors, Desi Fitri, um, is Indonesian. Um, so I have to also probably tell you that I went, so I was at the College of Fine Arts in Sydney, but I actually took an exchange and ended up studying at the Jakarta Institute of Arts in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have Indonesian heritage, yes. but I just didn't connect with the art school, film school wank of um, Sydney's eastern suburbs. Yes. Um, so going up to Jakarta was um, an amazing experience and being at film school there was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. So the film was really well received um, and it really just taught me that, hey, it, you know, I'm just going to try and make the films I want to make the way that I want to make them and hopefully people will pay attention. Mm -hmm. Um, And thankfully uh, Richard Salada and Jack Sargent loved the film and they programmed it that year and it went on to screen at the Sydney Underground where it won the Director's um, Choice Award, the Best Narrative. It um, then went on to Slamdance in the US, which is sort of Sundance's Director's Fortnight. Um, and then a few other festivals, and then we had like a bespoke theatrical release. So it was great that we were uh, we were able to get that film out there uh, on our own terms, and that I think creatively it, it was um, for me um, just liberating. Um, it really, yeah, it really it was empowering to see where where and how that film was received. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, the the financing system in Australia. Is it different mm. in Indonesia? Are they, are they much more um, open to you, you know handing out cash, for lack of better words? Well, look, Indonesians don't, they don't have a screen agency system, so they don't have a government sanctioned funding system. Yes, they have um, they have private investors. Mm. 
Uh, and in fact, um, after Alvin screamed at Slamdance, I there were Warner Brothers executives in this in the screening there who invited me to LA. They just went, "Hey, what are you working on next? Come to LA. Let's have some meetings. We love your work. Um, we want to invest and finance in interesting stuff, you know." And so it was really interesting. Kind of, I spent sort of six months developing something with the guys there in LA, um, and they don't use terms like funding and submissions, you know, those sort of government terms that, um, you know, are used here in Australia. They use words like investment and finance. Um, so it's a very different kind of mindset. The mindset here is that the arts uh, are all kind of uh, palmed out to bureaucrats. Um, and fair enough, we're a small cottage industry. Um, we need to compete with other big English-speaking countries. I, I mean, I completely understand that. I'm just saying that it's very different. Um, it's very different ways of creating film. Yeah. So within the system here in Australia, it's well, if you're not being kind of funded um, by these sorts of screen agencies, then I think you need to kind of look for your own in, in investors or financiers or you know, arts patrons or crowdfunders or collaborators who can come on board and, um, and help, you know, bring your vision to life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very so, important in, in the Australian film industry to find a community and find people, you know, mm, with similar visions mm, to you. It's, it's very important. Absolutely, absolutely. Those, I mean, I can't thank my collaborators enough. I mean, film, filmmaking is hard yeah. for, um, as it is. I was, I, I've been fortunate with, with Alvin's and, and obviously with the Lonely Spirits to find really strong um, collaborators who, who believe in the work. So um, that kind of helps us get it over the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you really have here because, you know, the, the vision works so well as a collaborative experience with your actor and your producers and, and people like that. And we'll get into those mm. guys a little, a little bit mm. in, in a moment. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know about uh, some of your interests and hobbies uh, growing up. Was filmmaking something that you were always interested in? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So when I had an opportunity, like, so when I was say, in English class, um, we have to read texts and whatever and then write essays, I would always ask the teacher if I could hand in a film instead. Mm. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, we did, you know, we did... Uh, Sword in the Stone, we made it into a film. Uh, you know, we shot it on VHS. This is the 80s. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Merchant of Venice, we did a whole scene out of that. Shot it with friends in the house. Just, yeah, we just, at every opportunity, I just tried to kind of make stuff that was visual. Yes. Um, my dad had an old VHS camera. Well, it was new at the time, I guess. Now it's old. And then I ended up buying myself a, a, an old um, Super 8. So, yeah, I've always been interested in um, sort of that format, yeah. Um, and I've always enjoyed being behind the camera too. I'm not someone who likes to perform or to act and I like being anonymous. And, um, so, yeah, it's something I've always enjoyed and I've always loved going to the movies. So um, there was a cinema here in Sydney called the Valhalla and they had these Sunday doubles and I was pretty much there for the whole year. Every Sunday double I would be there. It was, you know, whatever it was, five bucks and watch two films. Yeah. Um, and then I had a few sort of VHS 
films um, which I just had on repeat. I would play all the time. What were they? I'm very curious. E.T. Was E.T. was one of them. Um, the Wizard of Oz, the original Wizard of Oz, um, which I, I I don't know how many times I've seen. Um, uh, E.T. The Wizard of Oz uh, and and the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Ah, oh, there you go. All, all great yeah. school, all great schools to learn from. Um, and that's yeah. interesting. It's yeah. interesting that you mentioned Wizard of Oz there because now I can see a bit of a Wizard of Oz comparison yes. to the Lonely Spirits Variety Hour. Wow. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. Yes. I mean, look, I love I love amazing production design. Yeah. That's done in camera. I don't love effects. Mm-hmm. I I, I want to do everything in camera, real live. You know, as much as we can. You know, you know, even that shot of Nitten and the Lonely Spirits Variety Hour where he's in the eye of the rat. Yes. Uh, the eye of the big merino. I mean, yes. we put him in the we put him in that eye. That's yes. a lookout. Amazing. Like we lit him, we put him there and then we shot that. It's not we didn't add him in post. That's very so, interesting. I, I thought yeah. that it was a, a an effect. No, oh, we okay. actually he was in it. Drove, he was sitting in so that <laughs> eye, that the eye of the merino at the big merino in Goulburn there, yeah. um, his the whole head is a lookout, you have to climb sort of, I don't know, eight flights of stairs um, and then you get to the top and then you can look out that window and, yeah, we put him there, we lit him and then we, we shot it. Yeah, oh. it's not, not done as an effect. Fantastic. So, mm. um, uh, most of your films explore themes of loneliness and isolation. Uh, in your short film, Sunrise, it's parental abandonment. Uh, Elvin is a recluse who suffers with agoraphobia. Wine Lake follows a homeless alcoholic and a backpacker. And in Lonely Spirits, uh, Neville spends most of his time in, in his studio. Tell us about that. What, why are you so interested in, in exploring such isolated characters? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you use the word isolated. I, I probably wouldn't see them as isolated. I would see them as underdogs. Yes. Um, so I'd see them as sort of people that live under challenging circumstances or are challenged by their their own personalities. And a lot of that sometimes is discovering their strengths yeah. and working to their strengths as underdogs yeah. Um, or as, yeah. So I think it's certainly I'm attracted to people that are, are seen as outsiders or you know, recluses or agrophobes or hikikomori is the Japanese term that we use for Alvin or, you know, um, people that are perhaps slightly on the spectrum. I don't like Australian films and books and art that have um, alpha male toxic kind of men being violent. I'm not... I'm not attracted to those sorts of stories. And I know that Australia has whole genre, whole genres of, you know, kind of horrible men doing horrible things to people. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't enjoy that sort of cinema. I don't like it. Uh, and I like, you know, Alvin, Alvin is a soft, vulnerable, creative character. And I'm, a, I'm attracted to those sorts of um, men and those sorts of, people um i don't like people that posture um, um I don't, and and you know sort of pull their and project out their masculine um 
shit around. So, yes. yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. It really does. Sure. It really does. And uh, <laughs> it, it's funny because uh, last night my wife and I were talking about that and uh, mm. we, we seem to make so many of those kind of films in Australia. I mean, in the in the mid-90s, say, there was this, uh, you know, this uh, moment where we made all these very funny films with very likeable characters. And speaking of underdogs, you know, The, the Castle's a classic example of Absolutely. that. Um, the yeah. lead character was such a likeable person. He was a lovely man. He treated his yep. family so well. Yep. And then yep. following that, you know, we got Chopper and then everything else was just, uh, you know, this toxic masculinity was oh. just oozing through on the screen. Like it's still, there's, yeah, like I think, you know, into Animal Kingdom and yeah. into yeah. into that one Oh God, uh, Wolf Creek, and and there's all the whole genre of just horrible men doing horrible things. I just, I, I don't see that as entertainment. I don't see that as something that um, should be celebrated. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't buy it. Mm. I, um, I think, uh, I think it affects people's psyches. I, I think there's enough horrible things going on in the world when you pick up the news. And if you have any sort of sense of responsibility that I do, I think you sort of shy away from that stuff. I certainly can't watch it. I can't watch any sort of horror or any sort of violent films where it's being used as entertainment. No, it's not for me. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, that's um, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. And when, when, I, when I speak about it, uh, I do love those, a lot of those films and I love a lot yeah. of the filmmakers who make them. Uh, I mm. do get a lot of enjoyment out of them. Um, mm. But uh, but in saying that, I just I wish we would make more films with characters like Neville in it, for example, <laughs> yes, because exactly. I come away from those films, uh, you know, feeling much more, um, oh, what's the word, much more satisfied with my viewing experience, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, everyone who walked walked out of the cinema or even during our test screenings just said, you know, this film just leaves me with a big smile on my face, mm-hmm. um, and it just, you know, and I thinking about it for days left me with a big smile I, I just we get so much positive feedback and i think i think the world needs more of that <laughs> yes, yes no you're so, right it really does it really does so you know i think uh i think it's something for you to reflect on man, yes. Matthew. Yeah. Uh, like it's not it's not for me to judge you yeah i'm just yeah. telling you a bit about my own experience yes no, um, and no, you know a lot right. of people kind of just go what you don't know, like any of those things like no like we don't need you know, the world doesn't need more of those sorts of stories, yes, yeah. you know. Um, and I agree with that completely. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're getting our fourth, uh, our fourth, no, our third Wolf Creek film, which will be like the fifth oh, in a series. And it's like, do we really need another one? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I was literally just reading a, I was reading an article just um, on the train here into the centre now about, a German backpacker that was killed oh, yes, by yes, yeah, and 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 you know in the bush and people helped cover it and then, like, that's that's like that's someone that's a person yeah, yeah. that's a um a, and that's in the news like why would you then go and make and something entertaining out of that yes. suffering yes and, and I, not I really don't understand that. Yeah, not only is it just in the news, it's saturated in the news. It's everywhere. It's, it's in just, every newspaper. Yeah. It's on every channel. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Like, no, no. I, I, it stops with me. I'm sure yes. there are other filmmakers who get off on that stuff and and there's a lot of money to be made from that stuff. But you know what? I, 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 um, I don't want to be part of that. Yes, um, yeah. That collective of filmmakers. And if it means going off over here in this corner to do that, <laughs> then I'm happy. I'm happy, oh. I'm happy to just chip away at it over, uh, over somewhere else. You know? That's terrific. That's true. <laughs> Let's talk about this incredible film that you've made, um, uh, Lonely Spirits. And, and excuse my ignorance here, I will have to get you to pronounce his last name again, but uh, the, the film is based on Nit- Nitin's theatre play. Uh, could you say his last name again? Correct, yes. Vengulekar. Vengulekar. Vengulekar, um, yes. Um, so Nitin Vengulekar. Um, yes. I worked with Nitin. I don't know if you remember him. He was in Alvin's Harmonious. Yes, I do remember. Yes. Yeah, yep. he plays. Uh, he played the character of VJ, who was Alvin's friend on Skype, and they would get together to have sort of uh, a cup of tea and, mm-hmm. and a coffee. You know. Um, yeah. So he's the co-writer here and the lead actor. Uh, tell us correct, a bit about your partnership yes. with him and, and when you first uh, when you two first met. Yeah, so we met on Alvin's Harmonious Tools of Opposites. Um, he was cast in that film and we worked really well together. Um, and then we just subsequently became friends. Um, he um, and TK, TK Pock, who is the lead in Alvin, had they used to do a Beatles in person, they were a Beatles impersonation duo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Nitin and TK, who's Alvin. So um, obviously for the listeners who haven't seen either of those films, um, Nitin has South Asian heritage and um, Tik Kim has um, Chinese heritage or well, Malaysian Chinese heritage. And so they're the two, the, the oddest couple who like, look nothing like <laughs> anyone from the Beatles, but they were really funny as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Anyway, when Nitin had this kind of Neville Umbrella Man character that he uh, had done in a lot of uh, shows in and around Sydney. Um, and then he developed this show, The Lonely Spirits of Radio, um, at the Bankstone Art Centre, which is an art centre in the southwest of Sydney. And I went to see that and it blew me away. It was total absurdism. There was no sort of narrative in that. It was just um, Nitin kind of spinning kind of public domain hits and sort of um, uh, you know, existential musings about life. Mm. Um, and I went to every show at the Bankstone Art Centre and then he put on a iteration of that with um, at the Griffin Arts, at the Griffin Theatre in Sydney again. And again, I went to all of that. So I, I was just enamoured by his performance and I approached him and said, Nitin, you know, and we were friends. And I said, I think there's a film in it. It's not going to look like the stage show. It needs sort of a narrative structure. And are you happy for me to kind of to tackle a, a screenplay? And he was like, yeah, that, yeah, let's do it. And then we, um, so I sort of pumped out a draft and we worked together on a second draft and some subsequent drafts and we sort of parked it. Um, this was in 2018. Um, I went away and did another short in 2019 called Wine Lake, which you've seen. And then at the end of that process, I'm like, I think let's, let's revisit the screenplay, which we did. Um, what had happened subsequently between the earlier drafts and when we revisited 
the screenplay in 2019 was that the cinematographer and a dear friend of mine, Vana Sian, he was a cinematographer for Alvin's Harmonious World of Opposites. He was 35. He, he passed away really suddenly. Um, and I'd sort of been chatting to him about making the film and it was more of a rom-com than it is now. I mean, there's a lot of rom-com elements to it now and romance elements. But I, I just felt like it couldn't be the same script after that. Yeah. Um, so then the subsequent drafts were rewritten um, just to bring uh, a certain weight and a certain levity to the, to, to the absurdism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned um, that I don't want to give yeah I don't want to give more away to that but no yeah. no uh, towards the end of this podcast uh, we might uh, talk about some spoilers and uh, and I'll give listeners a warning and they can stop listening to it there but um uh, take us back to when you were watching this play so many times you said you you went to most of the performances or all of the performances were you writing this film in your head as you were watching it were you, were you adding your own narrative to it then no I was just because there was no narrative structure. There was no th- sort of three-act narrative structure to it. It was the radio show and it was sort of some, it was done a little bit more ra- sort of random, random performers, random guests, but also random musings. I, I just sat with the humour. I, I sat with how funny Nitten is and how his, you know, how his body language just says so much, how how well he's able to kind of deliver on the comedy and, and, and how the punchlines hit. And I just, I just enjoyed and laughed out loud. Like I was laughing till I was crying. Oh, wow. Like um, and that's how much the material resonated with me. Yeah. And so I, I just knew that I enjoyed it, but I just, I, I wasn't sure what a film adaptation might look like mm. because this was done in a theatre space with one you know, one prop, yeah. you know, or two props, you know, it was bare, it was empty. It was, it was a very simple set. It was sort of, it was done very differently, mm. but the key was I fell in love with Neville Umbrella Man, Nitten's yeah. you know, <laughs> character. Yeah. And for me, it's like, how do I bring Neville Umbrella Man to the world? <laughs> and how do I make them care about him? Yeah. And how do I make them find him funny and charming like I do because I was just in in awe of this character like Nitin just does an amazing job at embodying Neville Umbrella Man Um, and it's just I think it's a character we need to see more of and I hope there's you know I hope there's more to it I hope there's a series or a you know, a two or three or a backstory or who knows but I think or or maybe his own talk show yeah, perhaps. I think uh, his own podcast. I think there's, yes. um, you know, Neville Umbrella Man is the character Australian needs right now. <laughs> it's very so, true, very true. And I really, I just loved him. And so it was really just spending time with the character and then figuring out how I could, you know, because I, I, I didn't know. I, I just, I, I literally only asked Nitin if he was keen to have the show adapted to film after his last show at Griffin. So it took me like four or five, five or six, I'm not sure how many shows I went to, which were all the shows. I needed to go to all those shows to be sure 
that this is something I want to sink my teeth into because I'm the type of person that when I when I commit to a project, um, I want to see it through, and yeah. I don't do things half-assed, even even if they are sort of you know considered to be independent or low budget or yeah. like it's it's a big commitment for me. It's years of work. Cast and crew know that it's a lot of work. We don't cut corners. We we do it properly. We take our time, um, and we make sure it hits its mark. There's just there's no excuses when uh, when it's up on screen. You know, it's like well, you know, it's the best we could do, and we need to know that as as filmmakers. You know, even with the limitations that that might be present. So. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned there that uh, you did have this other version of the script um, which changed a bit after your cinematographer sadly passed away. Um, it's interesting because the film does have a runtime of 77 minutes, uh, which is kind of in between mm. a, a stage play and a general feature film. Was was that something that you were aware of making the film? Did, did you chop many scenes or where did this 77-minute runtime come from? Yeah, so I, I actually... Um, plan for that yeah so yeah. i'd actually planned for it to be 78 minutes so yeah. we've done pretty well at 77 yeah. um so you know we don't have a lot of money yeah. we're, we're an independent production to try and tell a 90 minute 100 minute 110 minute story with the limitations that we have but but then with the expectations that i have is just that extra it's that extra work and money and time. Mm -hmm. And so most film festivals need a running time of 68 minutes. Yeah. Um, some, some are 60 minutes to be considered a feature film. Mm -hmm. So, our, you know, for me, I'm always planning for it to be on the festival circuit yeah. um, and for it to kind of get gain traction that way. Mm -hmm. um, Alvin's was 73 minutes. So it's strategic. It's strategic because... I know that to try and tell a story that's at 90 or 100 minutes with all, you know, 80, even an extra 10 or 15 minutes just is that extra time, effort, money, set building. Yes, yes. You know? um, so so um, it was planned. It was, it's always it's planned that way. Uh, uh, excuse me. I knew from um, my screenplay that the writing time was going to be at that, that length. I think the stage play was at 50 minutes right, originally. Right. Yeah, yeah so. uh, I, I always thank filmmakers when their films run between 70 and 90 minutes because unless it's a huge Hollywood blockbuster, you know, a Scorsese or something like that, anything longer can be quite self-indulgent uh, on a filmmaker's behalf and, and it's not very fair to the audience as well, I suppose. Was the audience, were you conscious of the audience uh, in, in all of those things that you just said? Absolutely. Look, I, it, it's, not, it's not just about the... I mean, a key component is making sure that people enjoy it yeah. making sure people sort of understand and you bring them along for a journey. Yeah. But it's also just, you know, being mindful as a filmmaker, what does the story need? You know, what, what, you know have, we, have we planted enough information? Is there too much? Have we planted too much? And then just kind of keep, keep it moving, you know. Yeah. Um, sometimes obviously we linger on certain things and we see that. Sometimes we, you know, we have shots that are uncut for two or three minutes. Sometimes it's it's quite cutty. You know, I just think it's what the story needs. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not someone who's um, particularly self-indulgent like that, although perhaps, you know, my editor might 
<laughs> say that we have, we have long discussions about, um, you know, is it enough? Is it too much? Um, you know, so we had experimented with an edit that was 73 minutes right, right. for this one. We'd also experimented with a cut that was 80, 84, I think it was. Oh. So we ended up finding the balance in the middle, you know. Yeah. Um, um, we did uh, some, a lot of test screenings um, before we picked a lot um, just to uh, ensure that, you know, is it funny? Did it, did, did it land? Were you bored? Did you find it, you know, did you... What, what did you love? What did you hate? Who did you engage with? You know, just some basic questions just to understand if we were on the right path. Um, and that's just us doing our homework as filmmakers because sometimes you can be so close to the material and so in your own process that, that you can lose, um, uh, lo lo lose a little bit of um, momentum and, and, and lose, lose a little bit of clarity. So... Yeah, I appreciated that. And sometimes yeah. a lot of the comments don't make it into the edit. No. It's actually what, what we call, for, you know, doing a diagnostic. Oh, wow, what? why did someone feel that at the 20th minute, you know? Is it something that happened in the first five minutes that we should be looking at? You know, it's doing a bit of a diagnostic and finding the right cuts. And that's just part and parcel of the creative process, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of molding it into, molding it into that, 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 that thing that's going to have an impact. Yeah. And good on you for doing these uh, test screenings as well, because so many filmmakers don't do it, obviously for financial reasons and, and other reasons. So good on you for doing that. It's, it's, oh, it gives you a great yeah. insight into the film. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I do, we do it. Uh, I sort of do it for most, you know, I've done it for actually all my shorts and my feet and Alvin's as well, just to, just to get a sense of, um, you know what, what 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 we've made and what we're making <laughs> yeah yeah you know? you're listening to the cinema australia podcast on apple podcasts soundcloud or cinemaaustralia.com.au I want to talk about some of the filming locations in the movie mm. because uh, you, you mentioned the big ram before and, and you've got mm. the big cray and you've got this massive salt lake uh, you obviously travelled to these locations then Absolutely, yeah. We uh, we shot most of the film in a set that we built in a garage. That's a real set in a garage. Yeah, in that real garage. Unbelievable. Um, I know it was quite tight. Um, we didn't have movable walls, so we had to squash everyone in there. Um, and then uh, we, yeah, we did. We travelled to the giant, uh, the big Marino in Goulburn. We did a big road trip. We travelled to the giant lobster in South Australia. The big giant koala in Victoria and also the big Murray cod, which is also in Victoria. Yeah. So we, we did, yeah, we, um, we kind of map, mapped it out. We did a 10 day road trip. Um, we had to wait for the borders to open. So oh, yeah. actually originally that was scheduled for September, 2020 and we weren't able to shoot those scenes until March, 2021, actually. So we, shot most of the film and cut, started cutting, but we were missing kind of 10 scenes, which we did on that road trip um, shoot. Yeah, was that a so. great, was that a good bonding experience for all of you? Look, the bonding experience came in that, in that first block of shooting, which was a month, um, a month in this tiny, <laughs> tiny um, radio, <laughs> this tiny radio studio and waiting room that we built in the um, the garage in a friend's house in Elwood. 
Um, so that, you know, there was no, we had no other choice but to bond. Yes, yes, <laughs> we, were, we were rubbing up against each other and we were just, it was, yeah, um, with our masks on and it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of, yeah, it was, look, it was a small team. So, um, but we, yeah, we just had to kind of get through it. And that was a real bonding experience. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it, I think any any film, you you know, it's like being in the trenches, and there's a camaraderie that develops. There's um, you know, um, you get really get to know people when they're at their most chirpy and when yeah. when they're at their most tired. Yes, so that's right. And yeah. so um, I um, thankfully I can say that we're all still very good friends. <laughs> that's great to hear. And, and yeah, and it's like that with Alvin's as well. Like I, mm. you know, filmmaking is hard as it is it for me it needs to be fun i also have a lot of expectations so we rehearsed i rehearsed the actors for seven weeks prior to the shoot we had a sort of a five-week set build production design component pre-light you know there's a lot of work that went into making it look and feel the way it does yeah and and you know it's not a big budget film, so but we'd hope that we we could we could bring it. Well, we brought a lot of production value to it, just to showcase kind of what we can do um, if uh, we have uh, investors who are willing to invest in the next couple that we're yes. ready to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk to you a bit about uh, the performances in the film because they truly mm. are really, really good here. Um, <laughs> tell, tell us about working with uh, Nitin as a performer. Did he need much direction here considering this is his creation? Look, his so the type of performance that we've created in the film is some of it, it was very much the way he was playing his character in on stage. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more understated, um, a little bit more deadpan. But some of um, some of the performance for me needed to be a little bit more heightened. Mm-hmm. So in the rehearsals, kind of we lifted a little bit of that and modulated a little bit of that. So we were going between um, uh, some of uh, the slightly more reserved deadpan play on things with a little bit more heightened energy. Mm-hmm. Um, Nitin is one of the hardest working actors I know. He always came prepared. He worked his ass off. I pushed and pushed on takes during the shooting process and he just was there, never complained, took direction. Um, and I, I really hope, I hope he goes on to bigger and better things and that he still wants to keep working with me. <laughs> yes, yes, so do I. Um, yes, he, 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 we did a lot of rehearsals um, because the other thing as well, as you would have noticed, is a, a lot of those, a lot of the performance there, I don't cut around it. Mm. Like we're sitting with his performance. Yes for a minute or two minutes and he's got to nail it all. <laughs> he's got to nail all the lines. He's got to nail, got to nail all the movement and he's got to nail all the enunciation and the, and the performance and the emotions. And, and the pressing know, of the sound effects. 
all of it, you know, like <laughs> being in the, you know, doing the radio components, but also delivering on the performance. And, mm. and, and that took work and co choreography and planning. And, and, and I can just say that he, he was a pleasure to work with on, Alv on Alvin's and he was uh, an absolute dream to work with for this yeah. one. So, yeah. Mm. And then you've got uh, Sabrina Chan D'Angelo who plays <laughs> Sabrina in the film. She, she's, bri she's brilliant here. And when you oh. find out her real story, which we'll discuss very briefly during some spoilers, uh, her, perform her performance is actually heartbreaking. The, the way she looks at Neville is beautiful. Can, can you tell us a bit about it working is, with Sabrina? Uh, again, um, an amazing performer. She's a, actually a clown doctor. So <laughs> really? she works for the Sydney Clown Doctors oh. um, and she's a, a professional clown. Yeah. Um, she was in – so when Nitin was putting on the stage show – for every iteration of the stage show at, at every theatre, he would just have different guests on. He would yeah. find the most uh, interesting array of performers, uh, fringe performers or comedians, clowns or whoever, artists who would just be on the show to break up um, his radio show, break up the, the variety hour. And she was in one of them and she was amazing. She was amazing. She um, did some of the performance that she does in the film. We subsequently choreographed um, that because I don't want to name the song either. And please don't yes. name the song. Yeah. And I don't want to um, uh, give too much away, but we choreographed that performance to the, that track and, and then we also subsequently in the, in the adaptation built in that kind of romance thread love story between Sabrina and, and Neville, the character. So, again, she, her choreography is amazing. Um, her, her performance range is I just, uh, I can't tell you. Like, yeah. she, she can deliver, you know, goofy and lovable but then really sort of deep and emotional like again i hope she goes on to much bigger and better things and she still wants to work with me yeah um she's a she was fantastic to work with as were all the actors i mean yeah, yeah. alison bennett who plays um uh, uh the boulanger uh the sourdough specialist um she was amazing Again, another great performer on the Sydney scene, Tee Kim Pock, mm. who plays um, folks in Kenneth Wong. Again, I was so thrilled amazing. to see him to see him in this yes. film. I got a real kick out of yes. seeing him here because, of course, he was <laughs> Elton. Um, yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Was it a given that he was going to get this role? Absolutely. Look, I just <laughs> knew that I wanted to cast him. Yeah. I kind of wrote wrote that wrote that for him. Yeah. Um, is is amazing. Uh, you know. He just does such a great job at owning that character. Um, yeah. So, look, I just want to keep working with amazing people again. And, yeah. you know, uh, there are a few. So even, uh, even Vashti Hughes, who played the horrible neighbour in Alvin's Harmonious World of Opposites, has a little cameo in this. Yeah. Um, in this film, she's one of the listeners. So as much as I can, I try and work with, um, similar people. One of the delivery people in Alvin's, um, Angelo Constantine, plays the moustache man in this yes. one. Remember him? Yes. yes. The guy with the moustache man at the cafe. 
So there's look as much as I can work with the same actors. I I, I will, and if there's a role in there for them, I will. I will absolutely bring them up and go. I've got a I've got the perfect role for you. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. So, um. Yeah. So I want to discuss a major spoiler here uh, because there's not much point in taking a deep deep dive into the making of a film if you can't discuss every aspect of it. <laughs> so so if you're listening and you haven't seen the film, this might be a good time to leave us and uh, you can find out where to see the film via cinemaaustralia.com.au. Um, but if you have seen the film, then keep on listening. And uh, um, I've, I've got three or four more questions and, and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. Um, am I correct? Okay, so so the spoiler is that, that Neville is in a coma or... Um, He's at the end of his life. Um, mm-hmm. Am I correct that Neville breaks the fourth wall during that opening monologue, or, or, or was it coincidental that he looks at the camera and I'm I'm reading too much into it? Uh, oh, I don't think he looks at the camera. I think okay. you may have been so engaged, Brian, <laughs> that you think he's looking straight at you. Yes, he's looking yeah. very. He's looking very close into. Yeah. He's looking in a very close eye line, but actually it's not. Yes. So um, it's there interesting you go. That so he doesn't that. break the the, uh, the fourth wall. No, but it's interesting that you asked that because this is didn't make it into the film. There was a scene that didn't make it into the film where he does break the fourth wall. Oh wow! And we wow. we made we made a decision not to leave it in the final cut. Yes. So right. there you go. There's a little bit of cinema. Cinema, um, and it's not going to make it into a director's cut. Yes, yes, happy to leave it. Okay, um, all right. But 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 it is. Look, he is. Yeah, he is in hospital. Um, there is a lot going on for him, um, and I think, I think every person who watches this film will have a different reading of it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Is is what is the show a metaphor? Is it not a metaphor? How much of is it real? Yeah. How much yeah. is not? Yes. What is yes. what is memory and what is um, uh, pr- projected reality? Yeah. What is yeah. what is real? Because stop you know it, we stop don't. It. I, w- I want to watch it again now. <laughs> yeah, like we don't. <laughs> I don't give any of that away. I think yeah, yeah, audience members yeah make up their own mind about, about that. Mm-hmm. I, I think by the end. By the end, it's pretty clear what's going yeah. on. Yeah. But um, during it, we blur those boundaries. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, we certainly blur those boundaries. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about then, and again, this could be me reading why too much into it, which I tend to do while watching movies. <laughs> but I want to ask you about uh, Neville's habitual licking of his lips. Um, and I know being a radio yeah. presenter can cause dry mouth, but um, so can being, you know, in a coma. <laughs> is the licking of lips intentional because, you know, Neville is is sleeping or, or is it just something that uh, that Neaton does as an actor? It's really interesting that you've focused on that. In, in one of our test screenings, one person out of the 30 was repulsed by that. Really? Um, and, and, and brought it up and was just like, I, I, I couldn't watch um, I, I have to say that it, I never, it never occurred to me that yeah, it was something yeah. that I just saw it as part and parcel of him playing Neville Umbrella Man. Yes. Um, uh, we, you know, there's obviously a lot of modulation in the performance because sometimes as a radio host, what he's saying and, uh, and what he's delivering to an audience on air mm is not necessarily what he's feeling. Yes. And so 
So, um, so we, I really wanted to play up on this idea of he's saying one thing but feeling something completely different. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, the, sometimes he's saying something and it sounds quite um, funny or interesting but he's repulsed by it. Yeah. Sometimes he's saying something, that he, you know, it sounds like a compliment but he's disgusted. Yeah. So, you know, um, we really wanted to juxtapose a lot of that, um, you know, between what, what an audience might be hearing out out in the world on air yeah. and what actually goes on for the for the host. Yes, you know? yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so you, 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 know, you might be, you know, yeah, Matthew, you might be like talking to me now and just going cringing or frowning. And no, going, no. <laughs> no I, I love hearing this insight into it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, and of course he'd be licking his, his lips. So I'm um, um, um interested to know why that particular person found it so difficult to watch because you know he is a here's me now we, we've, we've been talking for almost an hour and of course i needed to keep having a drink of water in between and it's just something exactly. that someone in his position would do exactly and 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 in the in the film you noticed a few times he drinks yes. we have him drink tea yeah, water yeah, you know yeah. we have him take because he, he you know it's part and parcel of being a radio host yeah. is that um that's your tool your voice is your tool you need to lubricate that tool, you know, so mm -hmm. um, water, tea, whatever you can. And yeah. and that's why at times there are moments where he is doing that and there are other times where we have moments of him drinking uh, yeah. just to take a, a bit of respite. And I'm sure that you've, in this whole interview, have taken a few sips of water. Oh, I mean, yes, take, definitely, yeah, definitely. I've got, yeah. a, I've got a cup of tea with me here that I've been sipping on as well, you know. You no go. one can see it, but... Um, but I've obviously been licking, licking my lips. <laughs> well, there you go. We probably spent more time talking about one thing that really didn't mean a lot in the film, but it's just interesting what people pick up and, uh, yeah. Um, and it's, I was just reading this last thing that I've got written here, and, and really there's no question in it. It's, it's more of a statement, and I guess I just really wanted to say it out loud. But um, Sabrina's performance as an on-air guest is, is visual, and it's not at all suitable for radio. Um, it's also yes. quite personal, and this moment in the film... Uh, it feels like one of uh, um, uh, Neville's genuine desires in his predicament is to have her do this for him. Um, he's longing for Sabrina and Sabrina for him in a way. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to be a real softy as I get older, but I've cried during that scene because it, it genuinely broke my heart. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, yeah, are you, are really, you getting other feedback yeah. about that particular scene? Absolutely. Like, um, one of the audience members after uh, the Rev screening said that scene was one of the best seduction scenes he's ever seen. Yeah. Uh, actually, it was a, what am I saying? It was a lady. Yes. She said it was one of the best seduction scenes she's ever seen in the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so um, I'm it's really the equivalent of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps yes, there might become a cult, bit of a cult, uh, cult scene. Um, it's shocking and subversive and sexy and all of that at the same time, but empowering. She's she's got the power, you know. Um, I um, I'm really happy to hear that you connected with that relationship. A real big part of. Uh, the story for me was ensuring that people understood that they, you know, that there is this kind of love story thread um, because it's not, it's not at all, I mean, it, 
we sort of established it early on that sort of builds and builds and builds, yes, you know, yes, as we, really you know, and, uh, and I'm glad that it landed and it stayed with you because we wanted, uh, we wanted people to feel, to really feel that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're right. It does go on for a little bit, but then when it actually lands, it, it hits hard. <laughs> it really does. Um, yeah, we a lot of people were emotional. Uh, you're not the first person to say that I really moved towards the end of the film, and I, it was un, I was unexpected. I didn't expect to be moved, um, and a few people cried. Yeah. So yeah. we had some people were saying, "Well, I just laughed and laughed and laughed," and and, and then you know. I don't know if I can say the F word, and I said, but then you made me cry. <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, um, uh, Platon, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us about this film. Oh, and, you're so um, welcome. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. No, you, you're welcome. And, and if people are out there still listening and they didn't turn off at the spoiler part, then please go and see this film. You really must. Uh, um, so it's playing at the Melbourne International Film Festival next. Uh, do you have any other screenings planned after that? Correct, yes. So we're doing Melbourne International Film Festival and we are going to also be screening um, uh, at the National Film and Sound Archive in Canberra, uh, also in September. So Canberra listeners, Sydney listeners, Melbourne listeners, um, hop online. You can also uh, go to the film website, Lonely Spirits Film, or follow us on Instagram at Lonely Spirits Film just to get any updates or obviously the Cinema Australia website will also have updates but yeah well, look we are we are on the festival circuit for um sort of the next year hopefully but we um but we are planning a theatrical and sort of a um streaming vod uh release next year oh, so we'll probably be doing theatrical and then streaming but yeah but we're on the festival circuit for the next little while mm-hmm. um and thank you. Thank you so much no, for thank the you. support. Thank yeah. you. And, and uh, congratulations on the film again. And it's, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews at cinemaaustralia.com.au.